Welcome to the Women Who Code podcast. She was like, we need more people like you in these big game studios and understanding it. And I kind of took that away and I was like, we need more moms in the boardrooms of these game studios because what's happening is this is where kids are coming. This is this cultural norm where they're communicating and building their environment and their sort of their space. And I don't know that a lot of people are in those environments and worlds looking at the safety of the kids and what's healthy and how do you set up constructs so that these spaces are, are great. Women Who Code Talks Tech is a segment that features experts in a specific field of technology sharing their knowledge on an in-depth and highly technical subject. Hi, welcome to the Women Who Code podcast. My name is Gabby Hall and I am the social media manager here at Women Who Code. And I'm here with an exciting episode today with Catherine Manuel. Uh, this episode will be encompassing the future of digital fashion in the metaverse. A little bit about Catherine. She is an accomplished executive with deep and varied experience spanning technology, strategy, and innovation. She is currently the chief operating officer and a board director of Blueberry Entertainment. And for over a decade, Catherine climbed the professional ladder at Thomson Reuters, and before leaving the firm, had advanced to senior VP innovation, where she was entrusted to build and lead a new organization focused on shifting the company from acquisition to organic-oriented growth. And that is just barely scratching the surface of the wonderful things that Catherine's been able to do. Uh, I was so excited to have this opportunity to meet with you, Catherine. Uh, and when I had the chance to take a look at your bio, I was blown away and I had many questions, uh, especially when we're talking about fashion and the metaverse. Um, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners are also really curious about what that entails and also how you've been able to accomplish all the things that you have. Um, and so before we jump into all of that exciting stuff, I would love to learn a little bit more about you and for you to tell us about your early beginnings and your life. Excellent. Thank you so much for having me, Gabby. It's great to be here. And yeah, I've definitely had sort of twists and turns in my career. Technology has really always been a focal point in my career. Um, even when I was young, I really liked technology. It was sort of the I'm dating myself, but it was sort of a big deal to have a computer in your house and a whole family would share a computer when I was, when I was young. Um, my parents actually met, they were both working at IBM and my mother was a systems engineer. So it all kind of, you know, technology was all sort of part of my growing up. Um, but I really kind of got away from it like many girls do and then found a career later on where I really kind of found roots back in technology um, in my first job. I think it's so incredible that you mentioned that your mother was a systems engineer and that you had that experience very early on of seeing a woman in tech. Uh, how do you think that that shaped your perception or your understanding of the capabilities of being a woman in that industry at a very early age? I think, I mean, for me and my mother, she didn't, she didn't work when I was young, but we always knew that that was what her training was. And she was very comfortable with any of the STEM. She was a chemistry major and was very comfortable in STEM fields in general. And so I had no realization or recognition that that was something that was somewhat unique or rare. 
Um, I also was fortunate that I only had one older sister. So in my house, it was very much that girls can do anything. And there was a lot of conversation around um, how we were very analytical. You know, just the conversation in the house was always around my sister and me being bright and analytical. And so there was just a lot of importance around intelligence, but also no categorization around what was ours and what wasn't ours based on gender. That is wonderful. A lot of people that we speak with mention um, either not having role models or accessible figures in their life, a woman particularly who were in tech, or feeling very excluded from the industry as a whole. And so I think it's pretty incredible that you were able at a very early age to see that it was possible and to know that you had a place in that. Um, you mentioned kind of getting away from tech. Uh, what was that like and how did you eventually find your way back into the industry? It's interesting because if you look at the data, I think it was 1984 when the really like the adoption of the personal computer came about and that it was marketed predominantly for boys in gaming. And so you can actually see numbers of women and girls really dropping out of any sort of technology majors or any sort of technology fields at that point. And I think I was kind of in, probably in, there was like a zeitgeist or a cultural thing that was happening. So I remember I did like a technology camp when I was maybe in like fifth or sixth grade, which is around that time. And, and I remember it was mostly boys and I was like, oh, this is kind of nerdy. Like, and I just kind of got away from it for sort of the social cultural implications. Um, but then I certainly, like, I remember just, I guess I was in high school and I was in a physics class and this other kid and I went to GTE, which was a huge company back in the day. And we got to create our own website. And it was, I think in 1990. It was in the spring. It was 1993. And we would go and build this website that was, it was so weird. I mean, we just had like a guitar on the ground and you could strum the guitar, but it was weird because we go once a week to this company and get to do this internship. And I remember we built this website with this guitar that you could come in and strum. And then the next week I came back and we had all these comments, like people had come in and thought our website was so neat. And I was like, this is so bizarre. Like who is so bored that they would come and search on this random computer website and play our silly guitar. Um, but it was interesting when I think back and I think about how new all of that was. And I wish I had realized just how powerful something that I thought was a little bit strange and was doing just for course credit. Wow. So you kind of found yourself kind of not tripping or falling into it by accident, but not even realizing the full potential of yeah. what you were capable of. Mm -hmm. That's incredible. So when was the moment that you knew that this is something that you wanted to do potentially for the rest of your life? So I joined Accenture um, right out of undergrad and I had to do a lot of computer programming. We did sort of a boot camp where they teach you how to program at the time C++. And so I was programming quite a bit and I had fun doing it. It was for me, it was like solving a puzzle. And so I really, it was hard, but I kind of enjoyed the opening of that realm. Um, but then I kind of, I, again, like I did what I had to for work, but I really wanted to get more into the strategy of business. So I went back to get my MBA and following that I joined Thomson Reuters and I was in a rotational program. And I remember 
the head of engineering in the healthcare business, he was looking to do sort of a massive transformation of the engineering, sort of the way product was built and the technology side was built. And he asked me to meet him for breakfast just to talk about it because he was interested in, could he find somebody that was new to the company that kind of understood enough about technology that they could run this big transformation program for him. And I remember he's explaining what he needed. And I was sort of like, okay, like, here we go. Like, this is what I do. I understand how to do this. And it was probably the first time that I kind of owned it because I always understood enough about technology and a lot about business. And so I could be that kind of bridge or that translator between an engineering team or an architecture team and the business strategy side of an organization. And that's probably where I kind of leaned in and realized that it was a space that I not only liked, but I also was pretty good at. And so that was probably when it wasn't just sort of given to me or it was just not expected, but it was something I picked. And I remember that breakfast and I was like, well, I can do this. And he was like, really, would you want to? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. And that, that opened up a lot of opportunities for me. What was that moment like when you took that step and said, I feel like I'm a natural leader in this space and I want this. I I feel ready for it. Um, Were you nervous? Did you feel, was everything lining up right? And you felt empowered? Walk me through what was going on when you decided this is what I want. Yeah, I mean, in many ways, it was a great opportunity for me to step into something and kind of weave together a tapestry of my backgrounds. So there were global aspects. I mean, in this particular role, there were global aspects because we were looking at nearshoring and offshoring and where our product life cycles were and what technology was being done by the internal team and what technology could be done by a third party. Um, so I had to understand the technology, but I also needed to understand what the business drivers were so that I could set up a really good system. Um, I think it's empowering. I also have to say though, that I've looked at my career, not like, oh my gosh, I'm making this decision right now. And this is like the next 25 years. I tend to think, I, I actually have a mentor who talked to me about this, but She always said that you need to look at any job opportunity you have as more like a tour of duty. Like think of it as a one to three year learning opportunity that opens up new opportunities that you want to explore. So when I took that particular job, I really looked at it like, okay, this is a project. I can do this for a year and then evaluate the next opportunity from there. As long as I'm continuing to learn and add value back to an organization, I can't really go wrong. And if it's interesting, it's something new that I do feel like I'm going to learn. It's worth it. So that's kind of how I've approached everything. And as such, I've, I've moved, I stayed at Thomson Reuters for 13 years, but I think I had 10 or 11 different titles because I just moved around depending on where I was needed and sort of the most interesting projects where I could add value. That is such a, like a very fascinating kind of perspective, um, especially because in that you're, you're creating a whole bunch of different resources and tools you can just take from different like fields and, and roles that you've taken up before. Um, is that something that you would advise to people, to young women in tech and to other people to kind of get your hands in every single jar 
and figure out where you belong or where, what fits the most for you? Yeah, for sure. I mean, the one thing I will say though, is I'm not, especially because I've been a manager and a leader for a long time now, I'm not a huge fan of people jumping around a ton. I mean, jumping around like from job to job, always looking for the next thing. I think that there's an important balance where the first, depending on how complicated a role is, the first few months to several months, the company is really investing in you and they're teaching you and you're not creating as much value as you probably are eventually capable of. So I think you kind of have to have a balance of, I'm going to do this role. The company will be investing in me to learn about that. But then you've got to kind of give back to the company once you hit that sort of sweet capacity where you're really running at all cylinders. Um, and then at that point, once you feel like, okay, I've, I've really been crushing this job and this role and I'm performing really well, then you can begin think, thinking about what's that next opportunity? What's the next thing I really want to do? But I do think there's a sweet spot around learning, giving back. And then, and then being able to think about what is that next sort of tour of duty or moment that you have. I appreciate and love how much of an advocate you are for taking a job as an opportunity to grow both personally and professionally. Um, a lot of people are often afraid of applying to roles specifically because they feel maybe they're not fully equipped or they might not have all of the knowledge that the job posting specifies. Um, so would you say that you recommend people to just still apply anyway and still give it their shot to see because they could still learn and adopt skills on the way in the process? For sure. I think that there's kind of a couple things and it probably goes back to that philosophy. But if you have a goal of something that you want to learn, it might be in the job specification that there's something there that you really have no idea how to do, but make sure that there are a couple of things that you're really, really good at. Um, I think probably based on my early consulting days, I always knew that I needed a few tools in my toolbox, so to speak, that I could come in and really quickly add value in a role while it took me a little time to learn and come up to speed in other aspects of the job. Um, so as long as you can really outperform and deliver on a few of the basics, um, I think that's what you have to be able to do so that you're really proving value from day one. But most people are, you know, tolerant of teaching and learning and growing and all of that. Nobody, nobody really expects somebody to be able to do the full job day one. And I think oftentimes, I mean, if all the stats and the numbers are correct, women under uh, kind of put themselves out there too seldom because they feel like there are a few of those bullets in the job spec that they don't know how to do. And I think more women have to put themselves out there and just have confidence that they can learn and grow and ask the right questions so that they can learn those bullets and then be able to deliver on them in time. Absolutely. I am a hundred percent with you on that. Um, let's talk a bit about your leadership experience. Um, already I, if we listed all the different times you've been a leader, all the different positions you've had as a leader, we could be here all day. Um, <laughs> what was it like when you first took on a leadership position? Um, and what advice would you give to the people who are now taking on leadership roles? I, for one, am newly in a leadership role. Um, so what advice would you be able to give based on your experience? Um, I'm trying to think. I think Probably the most important thing to realize as a leader is that your job is to support the people that work for you. So I think so often people think, oh, I'm a leader. I'm just going to tell people what to do and how to do it. 
And really, if you have a functioning organization, your job is to actually unlock barriers for your team to be able to do their jobs as well as they can. And so I try, I don't know that I always do it, but I try to end calls with my team and say, how can I help you? What can I do to make your job easier and to support you in what you're doing? Um, one, I really want to make sure that my people are the spotlight, but also that if there are things that can take away barriers that are not necessary for them, I can kind of dive and help move those things out of the way. Absolutely. So basically you're saying that in your perspective, being a leader is all about being in service of those who are part of your team. Um, what are some ways or some, some strategies that you often implement in your work that helps kind of build rapport within the team, strengthen your team? Um, how do you practice checking in on your teammates? Mm. It's interesting. This might be a little bit of a different spin, but I remember when I first became a mother, which I have a 15 year old. So um, it was quite a while ago and there wasn't a lot. I think it was back in the time where a lot of, there weren't that many female executives. And I think I was a vice president at the time or just maybe about to be, I was about to be promoted to vice president. And I remember a lot of women that were kind of at that level in the corporation didn't talk about their families very much. There wasn't sort of a ton of conversation, but I had one mentor who talked about her sons a lot and her family and sort of brought her whole self to work. And I always noticed that as something that inspired me because I like to be pretty transparent with who I am. And so I will say that my leadership style is probably to share a lot around my family and my personal life with my employees so that they also feel comfortable to tell me about their families and personal life and kind of other struggles or other successes that they have outside of work. Um, I just find that I, I spend so much time at work that some of the most special people in my life are people that I have worked with in the past, or, you know, I mean, I just have had such incredible people that I've gotten to cross paths with and work with over the years. And I think that because we bring ourselves to work and because I purposefully would talk about being a new mom and what my kids were doing and all of that, I wanted to be a leader who showed that that was a real capability and, um, and I could do great work and still talk about my kids all the time and sort of show that I had that balance. I think that is so inspiring. A lot of women, um, often are afraid, uh, we know in tech, a lot of women are afraid to show that more, I would like to call human side of themselves often in fear of being seen as incompetent or not too serious about the work. Um, and so we need more leaders who are transparent about being a human first, then a leader second. Um, and I'm sure in your career, you've been able to do so much for other women to show them that it's possible and it's okay to show up as a full person. So I really commend you for that. Yeah. And I think, I think that's the role of a leader too, is to set that culture, set that tone, because you shouldn't wait for your people to be the first or your, no, your teammates to be the first ones to bring that you should bring it so that everybody sees it, which I think is more common now. Um, or I, I just, it's gotten, I'm so used to doing it that that's, People, people mirror back what you show them. Yes, absolutely. I do think in the industry, we are growing more in that direction. And I do think it's for direct, deliberate choices such as yours to show up more fully. Um, 
but obviously as a woman in tech as a leader and as a woman who is is actively committing to showing up and being vulnerable and owning your truths and just being more relatable in that way I'm sure there's been some adversity (laughs) Um, you know challenges as a woman in tech what kind of challenges have you faced as a leader as a woman leader in tech uh, first okay um I think people sometimes will underestimate my technical capabilities um because I have gotten away from coding and building out systems um but it's interesting because you look at a lot of CTOs that are men and they they haven't been coding and programming technology for a long, long time. You turn more into a people manager. Um, I do think that women are seen less technical. And so you have to kind of continue to remind people that you do have that background. Um, and that gets kind of tiring at, for sure, because you don't want to feel like you're walking into every room. You have to prove yourself every time. Uh, with something that should be just table stakes for the role that you're in. Absolutely. I can only imagine how frustrating that is Um, because obviously you've worked yourself up to such a role for a reason. Um, And so obviously you have that knowledge. Um, I am very curious to learn more about how you balance both project management and people management. I know there, I'm starting to learn that there are such very different things that require such very different skills um, what is some advice you'd have for people that are in roles such as yours that maybe have to balance both? For me, I think it goes back to what are the business objectives? And I think if you're going to run a really strong business, so right now I'm in a startup environment, which is really small. So my hands are kind of in everything. When I came from a really large corporation and it's much more functionally focused, um, it's a little bit different in that regard. But I think that If you always go back to what are the fundamental, either strategic principles of the organization or sort of what's the cultural moray of that organization and you really understand it and you put the business first, a lot of the people in project work will all flow within that. Because I do believe that a sort of a well-structured people organization means that there's a lot of like healthy collaboration, healthy communication, all of that. So I actually think it all kind of goes together, but I think that what has to underpin it is a really clear business strategy and business direction and mission. What is your preferred work style? Do you prefer uh, in your current capacity right now, kind of being hands-on and all the different things, or do you like to be a little bit stepped back and allow other people to kind of take initiative when it's there? their thing or their spot. I love when people take initiative. I, that is something that I really, really like, especially in my role right now and really in all my roles, because I never pretend that I know everything. And so people will bring experiences or perspectives that always make whatever I'm thinking better. Um, so I definitely like ideas shared. The only thing I don't tend to like is when it's done in sort of secret or skunk work. Like I I like when my team will bring forward and say, I have this idea. What do you think? And I tend to normally say, that's really interesting. Keep going with it and just keep sharing back or let's think about it together a little bit because I like the back and forth. And I think you always can then make sure that people aren't going so far in a direction that like isn't necessarily good for the business. 
but you still give people a chance to really show how they shine and what they're interested in. And they're able to bring their ideas and their passions into the work. Um, but again, a lot of skunk work, a lot of people just doing projects in clandestine ways and not sharing them until there's like a final reveal. I tend not to like <laughs> very much. Well, I actually feel like you're getting at, I think something crucial and and what I mentioned earlier about managing both people management and project management. I think asking for that feedback and inquiring about the systems, always trying to level up, I think is a really helpful way to make sure you're taking care of the people and allowing them to feel like they have agency in the work that they're doing, but also making sure the business objectives and priorities are still at the center of discussion. Um, I think that's really useful and helpful advice for people trying to manage both. Um, I'm personally excited to move on to talk about fashion and design. Yes. Um, I, to be honest with you, when I was reading about digital fashion and the metaverse, my brain had a very hard time trying to figure out how those things intersect. So I'm really here for you to provide um, some excellent education uh, for me and for all of our listeners who want to know more about this really interesting topic. So what has your relationship been to fashion and design throughout the years? I really, this is a new space for me. So earlier when we were talking, saying sort of, you know, there are going to be a few things that you can do really well. And then a couple of things that you're learning and figuring out. I would say, I understand how to operate a business. I understand the structure and the regulatory context of really setting up this business. That's the house of blueberry. Um, the fashion side of it is very new to me. I have friends that have worked in fashion for a long time and have been real resources to me to help me kind of figure some of that out. Um, but also just getting into it and asking the questions and being in the room when people are talking about what the next drop should be and what should be happening and sort of what, you know, going to conferences and learning more about it. That's been a really fun aspect for me. Um, and digital fashion is such a new space. So it's truly how do you have your online representation, which is typically an avatar, how do you dress them? How do you put accessories on them, which can be anything from um, dresses and coats and jackets and shoes to kind of accessories to go into a game that might be a first-person shooter game or anything like that and be wearing a vest and armor and all of that. So there is um, sort of a huge realm of space that is online or digital fashion per se. Um, and we're, I mean, we're a fashion house. And so we're designing clothing for avatars and that's just really kind of neat and cool. That is so exciting to me. I, oh, I have so many questions. Um, first I want to know, um, what really drew you to this sector? Um, have you always had a personal love for fashion and design? Um, is this like a passion project? Um, I'm, I'm so curious about when it became clear that this was something that you wanted to pursue? It was really the gaming aspect of it that got me the most interested. And that is because during the pandemic, I watched my two kids play games in order to kind of have their play dates. You know, they, they weren't able to see their friends. And so they were able to go online and play. They chose to play Minecraft and they'd FaceTime their friends and play Minecraft together in a common world. 
Mm-hmm. And I remember kind of walking into their room and they were playing with each other, but also with other friends remotely and realizing the power of what the community space creates online in a whole different way than I had realized before. And one of my dearest friends is a woman named Layla Shabir, who runs a company called Girls Make Games. And the idea behind her business is how do we train more women to be game designers and game developers? And so she leads a number of summer camps for girls to teach them how to code and program games. And we worked together. I bring her in and she do training programs for employees and employees, children and people at Thompson Reuters back when I was there. And so we just got to be really close. And one time we were just catching up and she was like, you you need to get into gaming. She was like, we need more people like you in these big game studios and understanding it. And I kind of took that away. And I was like, we need more moms in the boardrooms of these game studios, because what's happening is this is where kids are coming. This is this cultural norm where they're communicating and building their environment and their sort of their space. And I don't know that a lot of people are in those environments and worlds looking at the safety of the kids and what's healthy and how do you set up constructs so that these spaces are are great for kids and that they feel safe and that they feel like they can express themselves and be part of it. So that's kind of how I got into this because then I just was like, okay, so I understand business. I understand strategy. I understand innovation. I can kind of do all these different things Um, but the thing that I kind of set as the anchor was I wanted to get into gaming. So I literally just looked at my LinkedIn and looked at everybody that I knew that worked for any gaming company. And I reached out and was like, let's catch up. And I just started talking to people who would then introduce me to more people. And eventually I got introduced to House of Blueberry. That is such an incredible story. I love how, um, the pandemic obviously was a game-changing time for many of us a time of reflection uh kind of looking back and thinking okay like what do I want to do moving forward and what I'm hearing is that you have always kind of viewed gaming as a community space as a place where people are finding themselves and in many ways the connection between design and fashion particularly and self-expression is indelibly connected to how we communicate with others Um, And so I find it incredible how you are kind of marrying safety, self-expression, community, our future with with children, particularly um, in a way that can be fun and exciting and um, kind of shape the metaverse. I love that. Um, So can you tell us a bit about the current state of fashion and virtual reality right now? Yeah, I mean, there's there's so many different opportunities and also startup companies kind of coming into this space. It's really interesting because what how we characterize it is many of the games or online communities have opened up something called user-generated content or UGC, which actually enables creators to come and share their assets for sale in these marketplaces that are online. And so what's interesting about House of Blueberry really is that we are kind of a collection of creators. So we have some of the best 3D fashion creators that sit within sort of this business, this umbrella business that we have. And we want to be on every platform where digital identity matters. 
Um, we are continuing to grow. We just got investment, another round of investment last December. And with that, we really want to scale and grow quickly onto as many platforms as possible. Um, so it's really interesting. And I think a lot of businesses, a lot of games want to keep, they have to keep the content of their games fresh. They need people to want to come back to see what's new and what's different. And that's where this sort of unlocking the capability to allow creators to come in and modify either the game itself or modify using digital design and fashion um, enables actually a much bigger opportunity for these game studios as well. And so we want to really partner with the game studios and show just how incredible some of the fashion can be. I will say that our fashion, and I say this very proudly, but our fashion is really the best of what I've seen in games. We, we hire and recruit the best fashion designers on these different platforms to really set the mark of what's possible, what's capable, help set prices that are not like NFT prices. They're not prices that are unattainable. They're prices that kids can, you know, save a little bit of their allowance or go out and get a you know, do, do some odd jobs to get a little bit of spending money and put towards this. And so we really want to be an accessible brand, but a brand that kids or adults feel very comfortable wearing our fashion. Oh, I'm so excited. Um, tell me a bit about um, the process or the considerations that you take when you're designing some of these fashion pieces. Um, what are some of your current collections like and what were the inspirations behind them? couple of fun things. So, um, and this is really the best thing. So I am not on the creative team. I just have to be very clear. Like I run the business <laughs> of the business. Um, so I know that our chief creative officer would be rolling her eyes right now as I try to explain this, but <laughs> I have learned, I am, I am absolutely learning in this space. Um, so right now we do predominantly fashion for people or avatars that identify female as female. Um, some of our clothes absolutely can be worn by men or androgynous avatars as well. Um, but some of the collections that I think are probably the most fun, one of them was inspired by the 90s Summer Girl. And we have like, it was sort of a euphoria throwback. I think as the 90s became very popular in the last year with some of sort of the, the television shows and what's streaming right now, that some of that really inspires our designers to think about what's what's really in we have inspiration from many of our designers. One of our designers really wanted to do a magical collection. She really likes science fiction. And so you can go into our store and buy sort of this magical, almost fairy-like clothing. You can also go, we've done some collaborations with fashion designers. So we did a collaboration with Notori. And so we have some sort of dragon hoodies and cool joggers and fun accessories that you can wear in, in the world. We've also done a collaboration with Leah Ash, who is a Roblox influencer and did some really fun work with her. And our team is incredible. You know, they'll, they'll do a design based on some of what she seems to like in a lot of her posts and then she'll approve it and she liked it. And we, we did a really fun collaboration with her as well. These are so exciting. I think a lot of young people, particularly people who are interested in like life simulation games or games that are so avatar based have been asking for so long for so much more than often what is kind of the preloaded gaming um, attire. 
Um, and I think that this is such an interesting space. And I imagine that it is only just going to boom as more and more kids are playing games, like you said, like Minecraft. And even I would imagine like The Sims. Um, so let's say I'm listening to this right now and I would love to get involved in this field. Where do I begin? How would I start? It's so interesting because I actually have a number of people who have been reaching out to me that are in high school and college that are interested. I think I have a meeting this afternoon with an interested college student on this. I really think playing the games. So go in and play Roblox, play Zepetto, play Sims. Make sure you kind of understand what you like. And then there are tons of tons of capabilities or things that you can learn on your own to understand how to do 3D design. Um, Blender is a tool that our creative team uses that really allows them to sort of do these incredible 3D designs. There's so many Discord channels you can follow and people that you begin to see on Twitter who will share their, their work. We, a lot of times, one thing that our community really likes is we'll share our works in progress so they can see sort of early designs and even share sort of how they'd like that design to come through to fruition throughout the process. Um, so I think if you're interested in this space, the nice thing is that there's tons of opportunities. I think Epic Games just announced that they're going to be launching a huge marketplace. So if you want to be a creator, you can truly find out how to do it, teach yourself, and then begin to kind of play around and see what sells. And you can set up your own ability to sell your designs and your ideas. I think this is so wonderful. I also love that in the gaming industry, I've just noticed ever since I was a kid and I didn't play video games, I would watch my brothers play games, but I was an avid watcher. Um, I have been able to see how inclusive these games are becoming. Um, I remember when I really couldn't even find avatars that were like the right shade for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I'm I'm imagining just all the, the possibilities that come with clothing the same way that we every day are like, how can I express myself through this medium um, in simulation games and other games that are avatar based? It's just so exciting to know there's going to be more options and it's it's interesting so I always think about back when Lego really just was service like they were marketing predominantly to boys and all of a sudden they opened up sort of what the characters look like and they they doubled their market share really right like they were just able to like extend that addressable market to to double it and I think in so many ways the gaming space if you look at the gender split in games, it's about 50-50. I mean, it is really, really close. But then you look at somebody that wants to express themselves. Women or girls want to express themselves as they are oftentimes within those games. And there hasn't been anybody that's been designing for them. There haven't been many girls and women designing these games in their likeness and in that, whether it's shade, whether it's gender, whether it's right, anything. And so I think that the more diversity we have in the people that are both programming and designing what the avatar looks like and what the games look like, the more people are going to be able to find places that they feel just more comfortable and that they feel like they can really bring themselves into that digital space. Absolutely. And this work is in many ways expanding our concept of gender um, and express self-expression. Um, because I just, I can remember so many of these games, female avatars were always dressed in a dress 
or the colors were very traditional you're gonna wear pink or you're gonna wear yellow um and now as we are as a society moving to embrace people of all gender identities even um you know including non-binary people and um gender fluid people that clothing should be a way of also acknowledging the variety of our human experience and in this I just feel like there are so many opportunities for people to actually understand themselves better um we come to understand ourselves a lot through games yeah, um, so this is amazing I really am so blown away by it um I lastly want to ask do you have any advice for women in tech generally um not just in this field, but women leaders or women who want to just pivot at some point in their career, how would you recommend that? Or what type of advice do you have to offer for that? I think reach out. I think reach out to people and let them know that you're interested in forming a relationship with them or seeking their advice or their counsel. Or, um, I mean, I, I just find it incredible how many women help other women. Um, and there are definitely men who help women in this space as well, but I found some of my strongest allies being other women in technology who either give me really great advice, or I can just talk really openly about challenges and they help me think through the problem solving of that. Um, I've, I've really found incredible relationships in this space. And so I think that people have to be open and we, you talked about vulnerability earlier, I think really kind of making sure that you're creating those personal connections with people, that's incredibly important to get into this space and make sure that you succeed in this space. And then once you have, I think it's wildly important to pay it forward, to make sure that when younger women or women that don't have the same experience as you come in, that you're willing to make the time for them make sure that you're willing to be a sponsor for them or speak up for them in meetings when people are doing evaluations and make sure that you're showing a spotlight on where stereotypes might exist and you're breaking those down in, in really verbal and, and ways that everybody will hear you. And I think that that's incredibly important. So both reaching out for help, but then also knowing that when you get that help, it's your job to pay it forward and give back. I, I absolutely agree. I feel every decision or every opportunity I've made in my life, I feel like it's always in service of the next person and the person after that. And I think when you have that focus, um, both wins and losses feel all part of the same cycle. Mm -hmm. um, and that can be really helpful for a lot of people, especially given the conditions right now in the industry with layoffs and people feeling a bit um, jaded about things to know that there are one incredible opportunities on the horizon. Uh, tech is an obviously very growing industry. And so there's always going to be spaces for people. And two, to know that there's always people who are willing to help and give a hand, just got to reach out. Um, I loved how you mentioned LinkedIn. And that was the first place you went to when you were like, this is what I want to do. I have to go to LinkedIn and search what a valuable resource and tool. I absolutely think more people should use it. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, those are all of the questions that I have. Is there anything that we haven't discussed that you'd like to talk more about? I don't think so. I mean, I, this was a fun interview. Thank you for such thoughtful questions. I am, I'm trying to contain my excitement, but I think this is just so cool. I wish 
growing up that there was more inclusivity in design for avatars and game characters. And so hearing that this is something that is not just growing, but it's really making waves, I my kids are going to have a better childhood than I did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> One thing that's also really neat when we think about stereotypes and bias is that there are now all these ways to, sk- to skirt those biases because you can actually become an entrepreneur in such an easier way through these creator networks, through doing user-generated content that you're not waiting to get the one promotion that you know a, a different group is going to be evaluating you on, that you feel like there are all these unconscious biases that are holding you back. I think that the world of being an entrepreneur, both sort of the gig economy space, but also this user-generated content space as a creator uh, just unlocks huge opportunities for people to kind of to, to set their own path and not to be held back by other people's judgment or biases. Absolutely. I think a lot of times people are waiting for someone to tell them, here you go, here's an opportunity. And I love that you're advocating for creating that opportunity for yourself. Um, because now the, like nowadays there's so many resources available, whether you want to build your own website, learn how to code with the woman who code website. Um, you can just actually take initiative yourself and really put yourself in the room just by taking simple steps like that. And so I love that you're an advocate for people just taking a hold of their future and um, pushing forward in that way. That's really awesome. Thanks, Gabby. Yeah, this was a wonderful conversation, Catherine. I am so inspired by you and I am absolutely going to look and see at all the different fashion when okay. the 90s, I was excited. <laughs> <laughs> That part, I definitely, I'm not very articulate on, but. (laughs) No, and so your website, the, if I wanted to take a look at some of these collections right now, or even potentially buy, uh, where would I go? You could follow us on Twitter. We also have a website at houseofblueberry.com. We have discord channels. We have, I feel like we're on kind of everything. We have a Facebook group. Um, one of the places to see some of our best designs is really in Roblox and looking at House of Blueberry. We have an experience in Roblox and that's where our team has been spending a tremendous amount of time to really get that process going. And so I think that's where some of our most fun designs are these days. Selfishly, I would love to know um, if your kids have ever seen any of the designs in the game and they get like excited because they're like, that's mom. Mom did that. <laughs> well, it's funny. So I have an 11 year old daughter and we're doing a collaboration that's going to be announced soon with a, with a business that my daughter knows really well. And so she was brought in to do some consulting work. So she got to see design sketches and it was funny because it's, it's a organization that is around empowering girls. And my daughter looked at some of the designs and her reaction was like, girls do more than just listen to music. They play instruments, they play sports. So she really began to influence the design as well. So my kids have definitely, especially my 11 year old, she's gotten into it in Roblox. We're looking at the next female leader in tech, obviously. (laughs) That is so cool. And I, I would start building my resume at 11. (laughs) <laughs> I did that. You saw that? I did that. I love it. <laughs> oh, I love it. So houseofblueberry.com. Um, and I cannot wait to look at some of these collections. I'm already just, the inner child in me is 
soaring. Um, yeah, I don't have any more questions. This was a wonderful, wonderful interview. And I'm so happy I got to talk with you today. Thanks, Gabby. Thank you for listening to the Women Who Code podcast. To find out more about our mission and the work we do across the tech industry, visit our website, womenwhocode.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Women Who Code. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel with hundreds of hours of free educational videos. Just go to youtube.com backslash women who code.